Good morning, everyone. Uh, the scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs, a collection of verses in Proverbs, actually. So chapters 11, 12, 15, 16, 21, and 27. If you'd like to follow along, you can find it printed on page 6 of your bulletin. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Thank you, Adam. Well, we, the past couple weeks, haven't had time to do our normal question and answer, a Q&A after our sermon time, our teaching time, and so this time today, we're making sure we have ample time uh, to discuss, and so if you have any questions, feel free to jot them down or keep them in your mind. We will do a little Q&A after this, and it'll be a pleasure to learn together, but let me say a word of prayer before we dive in. God, we pray that you would come and give us help, that you would give us your spirit, that you would make these words come alive that they would fill not just our minds, but also our hearts and even extend all the way down into our hands, that we would live more wisely, more truly, more faithfully because of our time in your word. So please come and do this for our good, do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying the book of Proverbs and looking at this question of wisdom. And it's sometimes a challenge to understand even what wisdom is. I came across this uh, sort of humorous way of boiling it down for us. Maybe you've heard something like this. Uh, knowledge, knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit. You may not have known that. Maybe you did. Uh, knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting tomato in a fruit salad. Now, that, you know, that's a matter of choice, of course, and taste, uh, but knowledge is one thing, wisdom is another, and we've been saying that wisdom isn't the same thing as intelligence, it's not the same thing as having a lot of information or knowledge. You can be smart, and you can be highly educated, but a total fool when it comes to facing the real challenges of life, totally ill-equipped, not able to manage the challenges of relationships and hardships and trials and big questions that we all face. 
Or to put another way, you can be someone who says, you know, I've done school, but just not a whole lot of it. Or I was never really great at it. And yet you can still be full of wisdom. Full of wisdom because you've been to the school of life and the school of God's word. There's a little bit of hope and perspective for you. How is this so? Well, it's because wisdom, as we defined it in the past couple weeks, is the God-given ability to understand how life really works and to apply this understanding back to real life. Wisdom is the ability to understand how life really works and then to apply this understanding to real life, the way relationships really work the way people respond to our words, the way money and resources really do operate in life, the way parenting and friendship and sexuality and emotions, the way these things actually function as life really is, and then to take that understanding and to live better before the face of God, in community, in neighborhood, in fruitfulness. Last week, we looked at this topic of wisdom in light of our words. What kind of practical wisdom does God give us for how we speak to one another, our speech, how we communicate? Today, we're going to look at this topic, our plans. What kind of wisdom does God give us for the way that we plan for the future? What I'm doing tomorrow, next week, next year. And I'd love to invite you in this time to draw to mind some specific plan that you've been working on. Uh, Some area of life where you have been sort of charting out or mapping out or deciding out a series of goals or an action plan, or maybe simply a challenge that you're facing that you haven't decided how to approach, how to tackle. Let's make it as concrete as possible. That's how this book of Proverbs works best. What kind of plans then have you been making? Uh, How to pay bills? Who to marry? Maybe it's a question of what job to take. Uh, Maybe it's how to get everything done this month. Because you're looking around at your apartment or your home, and you're just saying to yourself, it's not going to get done. Or maybe it's a collective thing. How to plan as a church, for example in light of a big for sale sign outside of this very building. What does tomorrow hold for us and how do we respond? Think of something and let's look at four or five principles or words of wisdom that we find in these Proverbs. Number one, number one, meet life's demands with careful plans. Meet life's demands with careful plans. We're starting with a fairly simple point. Planning is good. It's good to make plans. The Bible actually encourages it. Some people can have a tendency, especially perhaps within the church and faith communities, to start to believe that if you really trusted God, then then you should never have to make plans. You just step into the future with no sense of what's coming and you just walk by faith. But do you understand the Bible presents a God who himself is a planner. God is a planner. You see, we see this in Acts 2 when the Apostle Peter is preaching and he's talking about how God unrolled and unfolded the plan of salvation through Jesus. 
where he said Jesus was crucified for our salvation, a payment for our sins, quote, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Which means, of course, if you've given your life to Jesus, your salvation is not an accident. That's good news. Your salvation is not an accident. God's love for you is deliberate, is specific, is planned. Planning can be an expression of love and of care. Planning is a good thing. Here's one example. Proverbs 21 verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And here, the act of diligent planning is being compared to going about life in haste, sort of in a rush uh, where you're just making quick decisions, impulsive decisions, uh, rather than settling down and deliberating, pondering, asking for counsel and advice from other people, thinking before you act. And it just reminds us here in this specific application of finances, you, you actually do better financially This one proverb is telling us, financially, if you plan, if you manage a budget, you set financial goals, if you are able to delay gratification. In other words, don't just let life happen by accident. Act with purposefulness. Not long ago, I was having a conversation with someone who's been exploring the Christian faith, asking some wonderful questions, and this person in this conversation, asked a really great, great question, uh, asking, uh, if I start to believe in God, uh, will I stop caring about stuff in this world where I just won't want to do anything? I won't want to really engage, you know, because I believe then that God were in control of everything. And so then it just wouldn't really matter what I do. Isn't that the case? I'm afraid that that would be the case. And so we talked, wonderful question, right? Maybe one that some of you have talked about how that's a common misunderstanding, even amongst Christians. In fact, the Bible has a different perspective. It tells us that to be a Christian actually is to believe that we live in a moral universe where life isn't accidental, where your choices actually have real consequences. You know, being a Christian should make you care more about your decisions and how they affect people and places. To be a Christian is to believe that you've been made by God and therefore made in His image with with God's template stamped upon your life and your soul, which means, like God, you are responsible. You're a responsible agent, responsible for your choices and your actions, and you are able to make good decisions. Some of you need to be encouraged, maybe even challenged by that truth. You're able to make a good decision. So you can make one, and you should. But the Bible also talks about this idea of stewardship. It's this vision of life where God, especially to those who are called His children through relationship with Jesus, are given everything that God has as a stewardship before him, 
where God has given me these relationships, these people in my life. God has given me these resources, this money and these things that I have. God has given me these gifts and abilities and skills and experiences. God has given me my time every minute, every second of every day. It all belongs to him and he's lended it to me, in fact. And he's asked me to manage it and use it for his honor and for the good of people around us. And so that means then every decision, every choice, every future moment that we have should be done with great care, stewarding the things that God has given us rather than just wasting opportunities or being flippant or careless with the things and the life that God has given us. Do not misunderstand. The Bible and the book of Proverbs isn't telling us that we have to be an obsessive planner. And some of us are. Amen? (laughs) And we'll get to that in a second. As if your whole life has to be mapped out. As if you have to chart out every second in the future. That itself can be a form of unbelief, lack of trust in God, even idolatry, believing that you yourself are God, master of the future. But there also are different personalities, different ways in which we might work this out, different ways that you might engage with the future and mark out plans in a responsible sort of way. But just for starters, friends, is there something in life that you have been refusing to plan? And do you know that God may be calling you to be a steward, to care, to plan? So number one, meet life's demands with careful plans. Number two, hold your plans with an open hand. Hold your plans with an open hand. Proverbs 27, verse 1, Do not boast about tomorrow. Why? For you do not know what a day may bring. Do you or can you control the future? The answer is no. Do you have total control over what tomorrow will bring? No. But don't we so often talk about what's upcoming tomorrow or what I'm going to do tomorrow or how I'm going to live or what things need to happen in life in the future with a sort of confidence and even certainty that shows that we really do believe that we know what tomorrow will bring and that we can control everything that tomorrow does bring. I mean, this is just so wise. It's so simple. But if we actually pin down our heart to live in light of this wisdom, friends, think about it. What kind of disappointment might we save ourselves? What kind of heartache might we save ourselves by not living as though you actually can nail down every detail about tomorrow? What kind of false security can you avoid pulling your soul and maybe the souls of those around you into by acting this sort of way? What kind of time and energy, and in some cases, maybe even money, can you save by keeping this wisdom in mind? Hold your plans with an open hand because you can't control tomorrow. 
You know what we do? We so often we say, God, you know, here's a list of what needs to happen in my life. Here it is, God, you know, all listed down on this sheet. And this is how life is supposed to work here, God. And this is what prayer sounds like. Bless my plans. Sign at the bottom, God. Initial after each line, you know, thanks. And then let me get back to scene. Uh, I surrender all. I surrender all. How often our planning is actually a quiet form of demanding from God. Hold your plans with an open hand. And if we live like this, it should make us humble. (laughs) Putting God in his rightful place and putting ourselves in our rightful place. It should make us more flexible, shouldn't it, in our planning. Not that you stop engaging with these questions about the future. Who am I to marry? Where am I to live? How am I to use my resources best? But it should make us more flexible. So that when things don't work out according to plan, sure, you know, we might struggle. And we often do struggle with some disappointment, maybe even hurt, maybe even anger. The human heart reacts, yes. But we should never be completely surprised when things don't go as planned. Because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We should never be completely surprised. We should never be completely devastated. And if we are, it's a sign that we've been trusting in our plans rather than trusting in God. This is hard, isn't it? This is really hard because a lot of the time we use our goals and our objectives and our plans as a way of controlling chaos in our lives because we're afraid because we live in a world that shakes and we've got hearts that quake and we want control. So let me bolt it down with a master plan and try to chase away all my anxiety and my fears. And we do this simply so that we don't have to live by faith. God says, look, I've got you by your right hand when you can't see and I can see. I've got you by your right hand, which brings us to the next point. Number three, commit your plans into God's hands. Commit your plans into God's hands. Meet life's demands with careful plans. Hold your plans with an open hand. Commit your plans into God's hands. Hands. Uh huh. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. The plans we make are important. We've been talking about that. God does use them. He works through them. But these verses make it clear that your plans and the plans that you make are important, but they are not ultimate. They're important, but they're not ultimate. Because ultimately, the future is determined by God. He establishes our steps. He has every right to edit and correct and adjust and veto and correct and use and improve upon our plans. And that's good news because if my life only worked out according to my wisdom, I'm in trouble. It's good news that God sometimes says, no, 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 no. I've got a better way, a gospel way, 
a way through the darkness, because even darkness is not dark to me. I see it all, what you don't see. I have the privilege, the joy of putting my daughter to sleep in the evening, and she's working through this phase right now where she's afraid of the dark oftentimes, and can't see, and sometimes there's a little bit of light still left from outside, maybe the light posts on the street or the moon and the stars, and she'll say, I'm scared, and she'll say, you know, "Uh, Daddy, I can't see, and I'll tell her, no, it's okay, Daddy can see. She said, no, 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 but I can't see, I can't see. Uh, Baby girl, I'm holding you in my arms right now. You're going to be okay. Daddy can see, even if you can't see. No, I can't see. It's dark. I can't see. And sometimes I think to myself how much that's like us. Insisting that we need to be able to see. When even if we could, don't you see? We're in better hands when he can see. And we can't. And we're in his arms. The God who establishes our steps. We make plans, but our plans do not come to fruition apart from the purposes of God. As the 15th century writer Thomas Kempis wrote, man proposes, but God disposes. Man puts forth plans and we put together ideas and it's our prerogative, even our responsibility, as we said, to do so. And yet it's God's prerogative in the end to execute them, to bring them about. Or not. We make plans. God makes them happen. Or not. Which means whether or not we're okay with that has everything to do with whether or not you actually trust the heart and the character of God. Doesn't it? And this is where time and again the Bible brings us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned before, the plan and the purposes of God from eternity past was an arrangement of all the circumstances of history, writ large, and of your personal life to bring you to salvation in Jesus Christ by His death and resurrection. Him paying for your sins, for your forgiveness. His righteousness and perfect record of love and justice counting as yours. Good news. All of that arising from the heart and the plan of God. So get this, dear friends. If that's what's coming out of his heart and his plan, can't we trust all the other lesser things that are also arising out of his heart and his plan? If he would devote all his resources and energy and wisdom and purposes for your salvation, for your good, for your eternal joy, will he not do the same with all the little details and subplans that are working itself out in life? In fact, the book of Romans says that just that very thing in chapter 8. That God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things in your life, he's working together for your good. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? 
Because if you don't trust the heart and the purposes of God, why will you ever want to fling your arms wide open and surrender to his plans and his purposes? But if he's given you, as he has in the gospel, every reason to trust him, we can start to take steps of faith to say, as John Newton said, the author of Amazing Grace, John Newton, Lord, what you will, when you will, how you will. Can we live like that? It gives us confidence to move into an uncertain future. Doesn't it make us bold and secure and free to know that God holds our lives together in His hands? Even through suffering and through sorrow, even through broken plans, you understand God is not going to wreck your life. He's not going to even let you wreck your life. You belong to Him. Jesus' blood purchased your life. It's one of the greatest sources of comfort. And some of us here today are paralyzed because you believe too much, too much in the power of your plans as if they determine your lives. If I screw this decision up, I'm screwed up for the rest of my life. If I can't get this right, then God's not going to love me. If I get off track here, his purposes for the rest of my life are going to fail. You might not actually say that, but you live that. Here's some good news. Fear not. God is bigger than your flawed plans. Amen. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord works out everything to its proper end, even though wicked for a day of disaster. Which means, as one commentator wrote, that God is in control even of the wicked acts of human beings and uses their evil for good. God can use even our evil choices, our stupid choices, even our sinful mistakes for his purposes. Oh, hallelujah. This doesn't make you less responsible for the things that you do, but it does make you more joyful and confident that God is in control. And what kind of freedom of walking through a life that shakes and quakes, what kind of freedom can we have moving out into a future like that? How might I plan differently if I knew that God was ultimately in control? Maybe I would plan more boldly. Maybe you might be willing to take more risks. Maybe for some of you, your plans are too safe because you're not willing to trust in a God who's bigger than you. Maybe some of us might be praying or planning more prayerfully. And again, not just bringing the wish list to God, but raising questions before God. Again, he has every right to trump and to edit and to adjust and, good news, improve upon what you've come up with. Why not ask him about it? He'll give you wisdom in those quiet places. In those quiet places. Number four, I'll do this one briefly. Pick up the phone, don't make plans alone. Pick up the phone, don't make plans alone. We've been saying this every week. This is going to be a theme because it's all over the book of Proverbs. You're going to hear it again and again. Wisdom comes through community, friends. 
comes through other people. Proverbs 15.22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. With many advisors, your plans succeed. Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. You know what we tend to do? I see it in my life. I see it just in the way that we normally operate. We, we tend to make plans, and then we go to our friends or people that we trust. We make plans, and then we go to them and share our plans, and then we ask them to endorse it. Right? We say, hey, here, here's a decision I made. Uh, can you please smile for me now? Hey, here, here's a new guy that I'm dating, a new woman that I'm starting a relationship with. Isn't it great? I guess, maybe. Uh, here, here's a new job that I've taken, and these are all the reasons why it's so wonderful and so great, and, and um, can you be happy for me already? Please. Or you're not my friend. <laughs> we do this. We really do, don't we? Instead of what this proverb, these proverbs are saying, which is that out of humility we bring our lives before one another and we say, hey, can you help walk me along this path of decision-making in real time, checking in together with all the sub-decisions and sub-plans that make up the big one so that by the time I pull the trigger, you're in it with me and you already know where I'm heading with this. If you are surprising your closest confidants and friends with a decision you've made, they haven't been walking with you, have they? You haven't actually invited them in. There's very little in life, in the life of faith, that ought to be strictly private. Very few uh, major decisions, very few major decisions that we ought to be making on our own. What do you need to bring to a friend? How do you need to be planning better with open ears? I tell you, and I think I said this last week, if you are refusing to let other people into it, you know you're probably up to no good. And you're probably destined for a foolish decision. It's a check on the heart. If I'm hiding, we're in trouble. Disclose, share. Advice brings about more wisdom. Let other people in. Sometimes I've got too much pride to admit that I need help. Sometimes I don't ask for help because I feel like I ought to know the answer. My ego is at stake. I act like I know everything. I'm almost embarrassed to be ignorant or to not be able to handle this on my own. The lie of self-sufficiency. I can do it myself. Which, of course, brings us then to the issue of character. Let's close with this. You can't plan without character. Look inside, number five. Look inside, character guides. Look inside character guides. We don't often realize how much the state of our hearts actually affect how we approach our plans. Sometimes we think, look, it's just a matter of assessing the objective facts, you know, what's out there and what are my opportunities and let me just put on my hat of reason and process this stuff. What the Proverbs is telling us, what the Scriptures are telling us here is that what's in your heart, what's embedded in your life, your character, your motives, has everything to do with how you start to work out these decisions and plans. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. 
Your integrity guides you. Your honesty, your character affects your plans. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2, all of a person's way seems pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. For example, how much our plans are shaped by how patient a person we are. How much patience I have in my heart to wait out the timing of things, whether a relationship or a job or a future decision. Whether you're a patient person or an impatient person absolutely has everything to do with the wisdom that we are living out in our lives. I'm more prone to make bad decisions when I am impatient. Wisdom. It's so simple and practical, and yet we don't always pay attention to it. How much our pride or lack of humility, how much our ego clouds the way that we step into future plans. I don't want to take that job. It's beneath me. Or I don't want to be friends with that person. Or I don't want to live there. Or I don't want my kids to have this or that experience, whatever it might be. How much the arrogance of our hearts can shape our plans. We think we're being objective. We think we're exercising sound judgment. And yet so much of what we're actually formulating comes out of our heart from the place of our character. Look inside character guides. You can say the same thing about our motives. One of the most destructive motives as far as future plans are concerned is that of fear. I mean, really think in the coming week about whatever plan or challenge you have before you, how much of how you are looking at that thing is shaped, even nudged, or maybe dominated by the motive of fear. I need to do this because, oh, no. Or I have to go this way, or I have to be with this person, or I do have to find a way to get that, because if I don't, oh no. Think about it. God desires for us to make our plans and to make our decisions not out of fear, but out of faith. And so to look inside and to see the way that's clouding the picture, the way that's shaping and influencing, guiding and directing, or even strangling our plans and decisions, how liberating it is to look inside and note that character guides. And this, of course, brings us to this bottom line need. If it's shaped by what's in our hearts and what's in our souls and our lives, then isn't it true we need the Spirit of God? Wisdom and planning is not just a matter of another set of tactics. It's not just a matter of another set of tools that you need, and there are wonderful tools, and please make the most of them, yes. But most of all, wisdom in our planning comes from a changed heart. We need the Spirit of God. We need new character, humility, and patience, and self-control. We need trust in God to be able to let go and to loosen our grip on our plans and our devices, to commit them to the Lord, to trust in him, to see the gospel for what it is and to say he has won my trust and therefore I surrender all. 
not just giving him pre-approved plans, but to genuinely offer up a blank slate and say, fill in the blanks, Lord Jesus, I belong to you. But to take life and to do it with stewardship and responsibility, because after all, God has loved you so, don't you want to love him in the details of life? with every decision, with every opportunity, as a steward, a manager, a grateful gift receiver, to say, this stuff matters. And the way I live my life, all of it is an offering to God, an offering of gratitude. If that's what wisdom in our planning is all about, it starts with a changed heart. It starts with the Spirit of God coming on in. It starts with Jesus washing us clean by His cross, giving us His Spirit, becoming our Lord, our Master, our General, our Teacher, having final say in life and us rejoicing that He does. We need the Spirit of God. He gives Him to us. This is good news. He gives us wisdom for our plans. Let's pray together. So we're asking, Lord, that you would do that in a very immediate, real, concrete sort of way. In specific areas of our life, now that you'd help us to connect the dots, to grow in wisdom, to plan in a different way or a better way, for our good, for your glory, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.